Hey everyone, welcome to Founders 365 with me, Stephen Haggerty. Today I'm joined by Brett Wigdorps. I've probably ballsed up your surname, I'm sorry. Oh, thumbs up, I'm good, I'm good. How are you today, Brett? Good, I'm really good, thanks. Good man. Thank you so much for being on the show. Um, I'm so excited to have you on just because of your background, what you've accomplished. It's just impressive, really, let's face it. You've done a lot and uh, you've changed... A lot of lives, really. Thanks. <laughs> That's nice to hear. <laughs> Thank you. Put you on the spot. It's good to wake up uh, to hear that. From my right now, obviously, here. no one who's listening, you know, a few people might have heard of you, but other people wouldn't. So for the listeners, for the viewers, can you just fill in who you are, what you've done, and uh, we can go from there? Sure. Well, um, I was a management consultant for a bit. And then about uh, 18 years ago now, I started a charity called Teach First. Um, and the whole point of Teach First was to help uh, close the education gap between wealthier children and children from lower income backgrounds by building a whole leadership group of great um, people who would really focus on the needs of these young people, of the children in, in low income backgrounds. So maybe a lot of your listeners would have heard of Teach First. It's now, it grew to become the largest uh, graduate recruiter in the UK. Um, we're the largest recruiter at most Russell Group universities at Oxford, Cambridge, and lots of great universities, as well as a lot of my mid-career people joining Teach First. And it helped um, spin off a number of other charities like Police Now, um, Frontline, which works with social work, um, Unlocked, which works with prison officers. And it's really a whole new way of, of um, giving into society and making a difference in people's lives. Um, and then about 12 years ago, I co-founded Teach For All, which is now a global network. And um, me and the founder of Teach for America created uh, an American charity, created this um, network, which is now in 52 countries. The newest country last week was Sierra Leone that started a program. It's all over Europe and Latin America and Africa and, and everywhere in Asia. And uh, I spent about a fifth of my time or a quarter of my time as for a while I was deputy CEO there. And then I was helping um, get this program started in countries all over the world, which is great. Um, and then I stepped down from both roles um, about two years ago at our 15th anniversary. Um, and I'm still um, honorary, whatever, of Teach First. And I you know, stay involved in different ways, give speeches. But I decided to do something new after 15 years. And my two roles now is I'm, I'm a non-exec chair of National Citizen Service, which is a big um, government um, paid for scheme to help uh, teenagers, uh, social cohesion and social um, mobility. And then the big thing is I have a startup called Tiny and Tiny, we're trying to radically change early years uh, from what I saw during my time at Teach First, I visited hundreds and hundreds of schools all over the world. And the truth is young children uh, don't get what they need. Mm -hmm. We know from brain development science that under six is such an important time. Uh, children aren't getting good early years education for the most part. It's not working for parents as I'm a parent of three children I know and others know, and it's not working for practitioners that nursery workers and people who care for small kids, it's just not working for them right now and it needs to be changed and disrupted and we need a new way of looking at that whole model. And how is Tiny gonna do that? So Tiny, the goal is is to create a new type of childcare that's sort of between nurseries and um, um, small um, child minding um, mm -hmm. facilities. So, you know, people love, what people love about nurseries is they're really um, well organized, you know, they're very clear, everything's easy for the parent, you know what you're getting, safeguarding is really good, um, the payment is, is very easy, um, there's clear policies, good education, um, and you get good reporting as a parent. 
what people love about um, nannies or, or child minders is it's a very small setting where you're just with a few kids. You have a, an adult who really cares deeply about your children and you'll yeah. often have a very emotional connection. It's much more flexible for parents and, and affordable. Um, so we're doing the, the best of both worlds and creating these tiny home nurseries. We're helping um, people start these small nurseries in their homes for three or four kids. It's a tech-based business, um, easy payment, easy um, um, policies, high, high degree of safeguarding and, um, and quality, and also pushing out lots of early years foundation stage educational activities for, for them to do, which the parent will also be aware of, which follows a really clear child-centered curriculum. Um, and we're looking for that to really grow and and help lots of um, practitioners do it. And and the advantage of the practitioner also is rather than a lot of the money going to sites and facilities and management and nurseries, um, you know, have to spend a lot of money on all these other things. For for our home nurseries, almost all that money goes to the practitioner. Mm -hmm. um, and the um, we're trying to treat them like professionals and give them lots of great um, development and, and training and and they could earn you know a proper professional salary as opposed to close to the minimum wage like nursery workers are. That's incredible. I'm curious, why is this so important to you? Why is this mission of education and, and sort of bridging that gap so important to you? Because it's obviously like a life's mission for you. Yeah, I mean, so with Tiny, it's I visited so many schools and saw so many primary school children who just weren't school ready. Yeah. And you just saw time and again, these six-year-olds who didn't know how to play or didn't know, wow. you know how to speak, really, like almost like, you know, and just hadn't had a very good early years experience. Yeah. Um, and you just realize how important it is that they have a real playful learning experience when they're young. I just think there's so much science behind it. And I saw that firsthand. I mean, I mean, I started with Teach First. To me, um, my my family are teachers. My mom's a teacher, my brother, and, and most of my family. So I always understood the importance of education. Um, when I was starting on Teach First, I visited a number of schools. And I think in 2002, visited some schools in London where I just felt this is so unfair. It's like, at that point, I was thinking this is, you know, basically a civil rights issue that so many children in these schools I were visiting were obviously not getting an education they mm -hmm. needed to be successful were being let down by the adults around them and were being, you know, kind of screwed the rest of their life because wow. they weren't getting the quality of teaching and, and schools they needed. It's so frustrating to see as well. It's really frustrating. I mean, and to me, it's like such a natural belief that every child deserves a great education. Like, you know, yeah. how can you not believe that? And how can society not provide every child a great education? That seems crucial. <laughs> it seems like the bare bones of at least society that that's we, what we can provide. Yes, yeah. And, you know, um, yeah, and I think it's an awful experience if, if the most elite and the people who have the most privilege get access to a great education yeah. and other other children don't. It just widens the gap and it oh, does the exact opposite of what education you, should be doing. Those, you mentioned that, you know, that those six-year-olds that couldn't didn't know how to play, struggling to read or write. With Tiny, how do you get in front because obviously it's it's sort of the the parent guardian people that you're you're selling to and is becoming aware of it the six-year-old doesn't come home and be like hey mom have you seen tiny.co sadly um but how do you get in front of them because it almost sounds like do they why aren't they already doing that why aren't they already seeing that their six-year-old child is struggling to play struggling to read or write when all of their friends can and uh, ahead of them yeah 
and even like some five-year-olds, uh, you know, in some classes, even struggling to have a conversation because they yeah. have so little experience having conversations with with adults. Um, um, so I think, first of all, for a parent's point of view, I have three children and it is really hard. There's not a massive selection of early years um, options out there that are affordable for parents. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, often you get what you can take, you take what you can get, whether it's a relative or people, you know, piece things together. and. Um, so I think currently it's a very supply constrained market. Like there's, mm-hmm. there's massive demand from parents, but not enough supply. What we're seeing is our nurseries are, are basically finding their own demand very quickly. Like, um, yeah. they're opening up and, and they're filling up very quickly with, with very limited support from us because there's so many parents nearby who want, you know, that sort of help for their kids. Um, I think all of our nurseries are eligible for all the government payment schemes. So, you know, government has all sorts of schemes to help pay for childcare for um, very small kids or low income kids and different different backgrounds, um, which our people are eligible for. And there's a real shortage to find good opportunities um, for parents nearby to use that sort of resource. So I think for the parents point of view, it's just really hard sometimes. There's just not a lot of great options for them. Hence you're bridging the gap. Yeah, hopefully. Yeah. You know, I mean, you know, if you if you're wealthy enough, you can maybe afford a nanny or something yeah. quite expensive. And, um, you know, maybe if you live nearby, you could afford a, um, you know, uh, nursery. But a lot of nurseries are closing and a lot of them are less flexible, mm-hmm. not flexible enough for parents or, or, you know, in the post COVID world, maybe a bit too big or have too many kids. So, um, yeah, there's just not enough options, I think. What's been one of the struggles with Tiny compared to obviously Teach First and your other projects that you perhaps haven't, didn't come across until you started Tiny? Um, I mean, Tiny is a very tech-based solution. So Teach First and Teach For All didn't really have tech as its center. And, um, you know, one of the things I did with Tiny is I brought on board two co-founders, Ed Reed, who was one of the founders of uh, Graze.com, CTO there. Um, and so he's a very experienced CTO and uh, John Newbold, who created this um, digital design studio um, that, that he sold recently. And both of them, and he's a great product guy who understands digital products. So, you know, what's good is like they have a huge amount of expertise there, which I don't have. And I've been learning the last few years, like even the tools <laughs> we use. And, you know, this is all new world for me. Um, but definitely what we're trying to build has tech in its center. And I think, you know, the big mistake I always made at Teach First whenever we try to use I think in 2002, we were kind of tech-centered in that we had people apply online, I remember, and that was a big deal in 2002. <laughs> but then we slowly fell behind until by the end, we were way behind anyone. Yeah. Um, and whenever we try to do a big tech project, you know, it's just really hard. And I think I never really understood the importance of product managers and just what you need to get some of these projects over mm-hmm. the line. It's, it's one of those things as well with tech. It just moves so quickly that if you're not on the ball... You know, like you said, two thousand two, you doing something online was a was innovative. Now, imagine you doing that now. It's like, yeah, dude. So what? It's, yeah, you've got you've really got to be that famous word in the tech industry. You got to be disruptive. You got to do something a bit different. Um, how about working with co-founders then? Because Teach First, obviously, different sort of setup, different sort of co-founders, different people around you. How is it working with co-founders that one, you know, co- one of co-founders of Grays? and another brand product guy how is it that that relationship changes for you and uh, do you think that's a benefit for yourself on a personal level to me it's totally been a benefit i i knew i couldn't do this on my own 
Um, you know, and I, I just knew I couldn't make it successful on my own because I didn't have the expertise. So finding Ed and John were really important um, to make this successful. Um, you know, I mean, I think uh, the main thing is we spent a lot of time talking early on to get people who are vision aligned and values aligned. Yeah. And certainly, you know, when hiring a Teach First and hiring a Tiny, I, I'm a big believer and you have to get be aligned on both those things. Um, you have to be really clearly values aligned and really clearly um, vision aligned. And so we spent a lot of time talking when we started and I met with a probably met with like 30 or 40 potential CTO candidates or maybe more before I met Ed. And I thought, okay, here's a guy who is definitely, you know, felt very values aligned with what I, I was hoping our values would be and mm -hmm. seemed very excited about the vision of what we were trying to achieve. Um, and John was the same way. So I think that was really helpful. Um, yeah, I'm currently we're looking for, um, your listeners, we're looking for a fourth person who's more of a COO, a commercial expert to join the three of us. We've now gotten to that size. So let me know if anyone's At what point do you realize you need an additional person? For you, that conversation, how did that come around? So with, with the COO role, you mean the new yeah. role? Well, I think with that, um, we recently raised a really um, good round from Index Ventures from a great VC. Um, and we raised five million pounds to take us to the next level. And, um, you know, I think we're now at that stage where we're building something that seems to be working. Um, none of us really have the commercial expertise, though, to figure out how we grow it like successfully yeah. to that next level. And, you know, really squeezing the numbers, um, making sure we maximize the revenue from each home nursery, um, you know, supporting them correctly, really thinking about how do we get it from maybe a couple of hundred home nurseries to thousands or 10,000 home nurseries. Yeah. Um, so, you know, while I've grown Teach First in different ways, that was a charity. Um, and, and John have grown their companies in different ways. So the feeling was we, um, you know, as we're looking over the next few months to get someone with that commercial expertise, it's, it feels like that's a gap the three of us have that we want to fill. That's really good that, you know, obviously you've all got amazing experience, but you can still see that gap in the three of you. Because I think that's one of the things that a lot of founders or co-founders come up against. There may be a founder or, you know, two, three co-founders, and then they feel like, right, that's that's the core team. Now we yeah. need to just focus on us. Um, and those gaps sort of get missed every now and then. So it's really refreshing to hear that you're really aware. Um, so kudos to you, man. Kudos. Um, we're tiny then. Moving forward, what's the plan? Because, you know, two years on, reception's really well. You're getting really great feedback. Do you, is, that, is that the goal? You know, tens of thousands of of homes are turning into tinies yeah i mean look the demand is massive so um you know there's there's a huge demand one one study recently showed there were over a million uh children in england who are looking for child care who aren't getting wow. it to give one perspective um there's a huge excess is of that a million children or a million households um i believe it's a million children from the okay. study so so um so probably, i guess less households because uh, some of them have multiple kids but um yeah. but um, and then, you know, I think in other countries, my teach for all experience has shown like, you know, and I was just talking to the um, head of uh, Mumbai, for instance, a teach for India, I was talking recently and, and some other cities who, um, you know, had a lot of interest in how this could work in their own countries or, you know, I think there's lots of countries around the world where a similar model could work. And I think this is a global issue. I mean, I've been to. Yeah. Um, It'd be weird of, if it wasn't a global issue. Yeah, it really is. I mean, I've been to nurseries and elementary and primary schools all over the world and talk to parents and you just see it's an issue everywhere. Like there's mm -hmm. very few countries that have this sorted and it's kind of weird. It's one of the few um, 
areas of, of everyone's life that just hasn't really been disrupted by technology yet. Yeah. You know, and someone someone's going to do it and and disrupt it in a good way. It's a broken sector. I think no one thinks the sector works well anywhere in the world, just about. So you know, I think it's dying for good solutions. So so you know, I think we're hoping to really build a community, and we're trying to make this into a wonderful community where these home nurseries work together. You know, we're supporting all that. We see them as micro entrepreneurs who we want to choose professionals, give them lots of development, lots of support, make them you know really understand they're they're these hugely important key workers, you know, in, in society and help mm. them work together and build communities around it. And so we'd love to build a global community around it. That must be quite one of the appeals from the from the the child mind. What do you what do you what do you call the person who's running it? Practitioner. So there are there are child minders. So officially legally in England we're a child minding agency. Yeah. Um and that's that's the legislation we're using. And there are child minders. We're calling them tiny home nurseries is what we're calling the setting. Um, because we think the word childminder is is very passive. Mm-hmm. And I think many parents don't understand childminders follow the early years foundation stage curriculum. So they do have education requirements. It's not babysitting. Yeah. It's you know, the 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 standards, the safeguarding, the checks are massive. I mean, I can go into detail about just series of checks that them, their families, you know, ev- everything you could possibly imagine, mm-hmm. local authority checks, um, GP checks, you know, we go through with everyone in their family. So it's not like just a, a babysitter or a nanny. I mean, these are these are proper yeah. professional individuals who go through a lot and um, actually have to follow a real curriculum. And but I we guess think a lot of people, one of the yeah. one of the challenges of Tiny is actually educating parents that that's how it is because there is probably a huge assumption that you know a childminder is is the same as a sixteen year old babysitter that you get in when you want to go for, on a date night. Yeah, absolutely. Um, which is why we want to call you know. We're, Calling them home nurseries and, and yeah. trying to change the perspective. And also, I mean, with our tech, we're, we're making it more of a nursery. So the parents get a much more professional experience and, Fantastic. you know, really know what's going on each day. Easy payment. You know, they get just lots of records. It, it's much more like a nursery experience for them. Yeah. Um, so, and we just, yeah, want everyone to be treated treated that way. Exactly. You mentioned about expanding. At, at what level do you anticipate that you have to get to in the UK for you to go, okay, let's expand to another country? Have you got a number in mind? Well, we want to prove the model in the UK. Okay. I mean, we'd like to, um, you know, at least get over a thousand um, nurseries, I would say, um, up and running and working together. Um, and then, you know, the goal will be hopefully in a year or 18 months to start really thinking how this could work in other places, because it feels like, um, you know, and I'm, I'm not even thinking about America, where I think there's all sorts of other solutions and stuff happening. But even if you take America out, I just think any country in the world, whether, yeah. you know, I was just trying to someone who created um, Teach for Ecuador, for instance, who's now working in this big Latin American nursery chain. Um, You know, I mean, Latin America, Australia, like there's many countries around the world where parents are looking for some sort of solution like this that's Mm -hmm. professional and, you know, easy. And yeah, that that I think meets need. fits somewhere between, you know, the very informal, having your children taken care of by the person down the road or your grandma or an aunt or something, and the very, very expensive high-end nurseries which exist. And I think there's, space in the middle for something like this oh i totally agree has um has covid had an impact on anything because obviously moving forward we spoke very briefly before we went live but moving forward people are changing their working environment more people are working from home is the need for childcare at, at that level still there well i mean you know we're in the middle of it so it's like really hard to say i was it's talking to someone this morning you know, who's doing another piece of work with um, children. And, 
you know, I think it's going to be, I guess, a year or two or three before it all, we all know what's happening, I mm -hmm. guess. Um, you know, my sense is, on the one hand, first of all, we've seen a lot more people apply to open these home nurseries. The top of the funnel um, applications have just shot through the roof, been like wow. four or five times as much as it was pre-COVID. So we think a lot of people are now more comfortable working from home and, um, you know, maybe are looking for jobs or maybe their other jobs they're struggling with, um, more comfortable taking care of their children, you know, and people are seeing that this is a possibility. So, so that in some ways is good, good for this model. And then I think, you know, maybe parents will actually really even more want their children to be in much more of a bubble of like three or four kids, as opposed to a 30, 40 kid nursery, yeah, you know? Yeah. And the advantage of this is that they will be with a few kids with, with an adult who really cares for them as opposed to a much more larger institution. It's that it's like you said, it's that we're still in that huge unknown. Um but I guess even if people are working from home, you know, that they, they still don't want their their kid jumping on a Zoom with them or they've still got yeah. to focus on the work in hand. Yeah, I mean childcare is one of these eternal needs, right? I yeah. mean I have to think that's something people always need you uh, i mean if one thing you've <laughs> i've seen over the last few weeks um my two eldest kids my youngest child has done stuff my, my two elder kids who are like 12 and 14 it's it's pretty hard to get work done even with the two of them at home so yeah you need to get them working for you that's the, that's the trick yeah yeah i send them to the post office or try to get them to do different tasks <laughs> fantastic with with tiny in particular then can you foresee any challenges on your growth? Because at the moment it sounds really good. You know, you're getting a really great reception from people that want to start centers that, and those centers are getting filled up, which is obviously the, the hardest part, I suspect. Um, but any roadblocks that you can foresee ahead? I mean, it's all about execution, I think. And, mm. and I mean, my experience with Teach First and Teach For All is, and I, I think probably most entrepreneurs, whenever I listen to any, any great entrepreneur, it, it's always more execution than the idea, isn't it? Like yeah. you can come up with all sorts of ideas and execution is really hard. Um, I think, you know, like for instance, getting one of these nurseries up and running, people have to go through lots of checks, lots of training. Um, we're trying to put most of that online through apps, trying to find different creative ways to make it quick. Um, but it's, you know, it's complicated and we're, we're spending a lot of time trying to figure out how we smooth that journey and, and make it as straightforward as possible. Yeah. And I just think there's probably lots of execution issues we're going to have as we're building tech. You know, probably not the only CEO who's always frustrated that the tech's not moving as fast as I want it to. And I always think, God, why can't it do this? Or why can't it do that already? Um, and, uh, you know, I mean, another big issue we have is data. I mean, we're just spending this past week a lot of time thinking through all the data we have. How do we understand our data better? How do we, you know, these are all like pretty so-called boring topics right which companies have to deal with in order to grow and you know it feels like we have an idea here that really seems to work but i think all that execution is what we need to focus on no i think you're, you're completely right and the data side of things is the interesting side because it is almost like the unspoken issue that pretty much every founder has to go through especially in the early days of sitting there looking at the data figuring it out assuming hopefully not assuming too much and uh, planning from that point in terms of where that business goes, uh, which is really interesting. One of my final, final questions to you, um, Brett, is if if someone you knew, let's say fellow founder, was going through some huge growth in their business, from your experience, what would be some of the things that they need to be looking out for as a founder themselves to aid the growth of the business? 
I mean, so I would go back to values that I think, you know, we've seen over the last year or two, so many companies, um, which we could easily all think of whatever company we want to think about in our head, that looked like they were growing very fast, but actually were based on really awful values and um, just collapsed. And I think that's going to be even more important, you know, going forward is, um, you know, I think, I think the younger generations or whatever, you know, care about them even more, which is, which Mm -hmm. is great. So I think, you know, and also I can see even when you get a big staff team together, I saw that teach first, like the way you get a lot done, really high quality and the way you attract and keep great people and keep them motivated and get them performing well is to ensure everyone's aligned on values and on the vision to have a clear vision and clear values, how you're going to work and importantly, how you're not going to work, how you'll refuse to work, you know, what you won't do. Um, So I think that's important. And I, yeah, I mean, the thing I've learned as entrepreneurs, again, like I said that before is execution, like, you know, just sometimes it's that boring execution that that is the most important thing whether yeah, something works all, or not it's all sexy new startup land no yeah. sometimes the ex- execution implementation is the only way to get anything done but it's also the yeah. only way to see if what you're doing works um i think there's a, a lot of founders spend a lot of not a lot of time but probably too much time on the planning stage and the the prediction stage without actually doing anything whereas actually execution brings education and that's the only way as a business owner no matter what size you are you will find out information to grow and learn absolutely um, so i completely agree with that brett final final question how can people find out more about tiny co great well just our website is tiny.co and uh, come on to our website and my uh, twitter handle is wigdortz w i g d o r t z Love it. Brett, thank you so much for coming on Founders 365. I'm really looking forward to just seeing what this next project of tiny.co really does. And uh, like I said before, I have zero doubt that you're going to make it a huge success. Thanks. I hope you're right. (laughs) Thanks very much. (laughs) Prove me right. Prove me right. It's, uh, It's been a pleasure. Thank you so much, everyone, for listening and watching. This has been Founders 365. Thanks.